0: Hello, welcome to St. Pete's Online Church. My name is Preston and I'm one of the associate pastors here at St. Pete's Fireside. And we're so glad that you're joining us, whether you're joining us on Sunday or another time in your week. Will you pray with me before we begin today? Living God, we come before you and thank you for this opportunity to come together to hear your word again. We pray today in this moment that you will silence our hearts to hear you, to know you, to have you, O God, revealed to us afresh again. Come Holy Spirit now, come into this place where I'm preaching, where each and every person listening is hearing your word. Will you enter in and break through and help us to see the, the world like you see it again? In your name we pray, amen. Last week, you heard Alistair preach from one of his favorite passages of scripture from the Gospel of Luke. Today, I'm going to continue the trend by preaching from one of the passages over these last couple months that has grounded me and helped me make it through the global pandemic of COVID 19, and that's Psalm 23. This has been a disorienting time for me, and I know it has for most, if not all, of you. There's been a lot of grief and loss. There's been a lot of stress and fear about what's to come, really at unprecedented levels. There's been a lot of increased burden on our home lives, certainly for me navigating a pandemic with two young sons. This has been a time where I have really needed to get my bearings quite frequently. Eugene Peterson, one of my heroes, used to talk about the Psalms, the book of Psalms, as tools for prayer. They're prayers that help us to be and become the sort of people God is calling us into. And Psalm 23 particularly has been like a compass for me. It's helped me journey through this pandemic. And it, as it has been helping Christians journey through the twists and turns of this world for millennia. So today we're going to just dust off this compass and look at it a little closer And this is the main idea we'll be working with. Psalm 23 shows us who God is, which helps us make sense of who we are and what we're meant to do. So Psalm 23 shows us who God is, which helps us make sense of who we are and what we're meant to do. Notice the order. The Psalms, and this Psalm in particular, does not first tell me who I am or what I'm meant to be about. No, it tells me who God is first. It tells me what God is about. And I discover myself and my place in the world by learning to know and to walk with God. Also notice the medium of this message. We discover who God is in Psalm 23, not through a five-point study, but through a prayer. The prayer of someone reflecting on their intimate life with God. When you read it, the "Is and the "mes," the "you" and yours" dominate the language. It's deeply personal. God is not out there in this psalm. He's right here. It's an "I and a "thou. Right here in deep, dark valleys. right here in the face of bloodthirsty enemies. right here amidst global calamities. We discover that God is right here through three images in this prayer, which will guide my reflections today. Lord, you are a shepherd. Lord, you are a host. And Lord, you are waiting to welcome me home. These prayers draw us to God amidst the chaos of our world. And they help us make sense of who we are and what we're meant to be about. So will you join me in Psalm 23? We'll look at verses 1 to 3 first. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, I bet no matter who you are, you've heard a portion at least of these words before. The image of the shepherd bringing his flock to green pastures and still waters, and the image of the valley of the shadow of death, and the correlating assurance of God's presence in it are two of the most widely known images of Psalm 23 and really from the whole Bible. And the familiarity of these images and these words can dull their majesty for us. So Lord, will you give us fresh ears as we hear your words? First in the Psalm, God is a shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, says verse one, I shall not want. And if the Lord God is my shepherd, that means I am like a vulnerable, dull sheep meant to follow. I'm meant to stay close to the shepherd because I am prone to wander off towards rocky cliffs or wolves' dens, the attractions and distractions that stir up wanting in my soul. But if the Lord is my shepherd, I do not need to want. It is not fitting because it makes no sense because I have a good shepherd who provides. This is what the picture tells us. The shepherd provides food and rest and restoration for the sheep. The shepherd knows the sheep and is responsive to their needs. Now, it's tempting to take this beautiful scene from Psalm 23, the shepherd guiding his sheep through green valleys, and map it onto a picture, an image of green rolling hills, and begin to believe that if I just lived a peaceful life in a tranquil place like this, of rolling hills and bubbling brooks, then I would find the contentment of not wanting. Or for us Vancouverites, we could say if the Lord would just lead me on sunny beaches just a couple more days of the year and past picturesque seawalls and mountain peaks, I should not be in want. I'd have that contentment of soul. But it's not the natural beauty that brings contentment. That's not the point here. The point is that God is a shepherd who provides for us and who attends to his his flock. Yes, the beauty around us is a gift and can be a pathway into worship. After all, the prophet Isaiah tells us that creation itself is made to worship. He writes, "...the mountains and hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field will even clap their hands." When the lord's anointed comes so if you're like me and you and you do say and you do connect with god in nature well here's a challenge for you the next time you encounter that sunset or that miraculous peak that draws you back and takes your breath away i challenge you to press into jesus there thank him for his creative works and ask him what do you have for me in this moment What do you want to reveal to me about your character, about your love, your goodness from this space? Use that space of awe to be drawn to the Good Shepherd, to encounter God's eternal power and divine nature that radiates from the created order, as St. Paul says in Romans chapter 1. The point here again is we are sheep, we need to be fed daily. We need rest. We need restoration in our souls from the Good Shepherd. We are fully dependent on him for these things and will languish on our own. Are you receiving rest and nourishment for your soul and body during this pandemic? If you feel depleted, reach out. We need one another in this time more than ever. We need to pray together. And encourage one another towards the good shepherd. We are sheep and we're radically dependent. And this is a gift because it means we're not alone. We can't make it on our own. Well, the shepherd not only provides, but he also protects in Psalm 23. Again, verse 4 says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The Hebrew for evil here is a broad meaning. It can include something morally wrong, but also something physically defective or even a natural calamity or disaster like a pandemic. Regardless of the evil, however, I need not fear for you are with me. This is the central affirmation of the Christian in the valley of the shadow of death. I am not alone. By praying this verse, we profess that we do walk through dark places. We profess that there is evil that stirs fear in us. And we profess that we need comfort and strength. But we also profess that God is our shepherd and that he is with us in that. We profess that his protective presence is near and God's spirit offers us confidence to face whatever a dark valley might bring. Now Psalm 23 is not a lament psalm. Lament psalms are prayed specifically from within a dark valley. However, we get the sense in Psalm 23 that the the prayer is being prayed looking back at a a valley of darkness in the past and with the psalmist we can pray yes I've been there I've been in that dark valley and God was there with me now this message of confidence we we receive in the prayer is powerful because it says we're not defined by the valley of death and we have a God who is a redeemer and who will carry us through it there's something on the other side But for those who live in the valley of death, whose constant experience of life feels that way, verse four might become a lament, or for those of you who are feeling very weighed down in this time and place by the valley of darkness around us. And this can be grounds to become a lament, to question God, to maybe even reject God. It very well may spur these questions. God, are you with me? In this dark place, where is the comfort? Many people over m- millennia have reacted to, this, uh, to Psalm 23 in this way. The words are so common in our culture, and our world, sometimes we forget that they even come from this prayer. The rapper Coolio famously considered his life in light of Psalm 23. As I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I take a look at my life and realize there's nothing left. Kanye West uses this image to describe the struggles of inner city life. I walk through the valley of Chicago where death is. The band Good Charlotte laments that God's nearness in Psalm 23 doesn't fit their journey. As I walk through the valley of the shadow of L.A., the footsteps that were next to me have gone their separate ways. It's all over the place. And we hear the distance and doubt in these cries. You may resonate with them. But we also hear a yearning to trust, a desire to be proven wrong, a wish that things weren't as they seem in the present. We hear a desire to experience the blessings of Psalm 23 alongside doubt that they will come. This is the difference between cynicism on the one hand and lament on the other. Neither experiences the felt presence of God. But cynicism has given up. While the lament grasps for hope still. In the valley of the shadow of the coronavirus pandemic, we are called to be a people who do lament with hope. But how can we hope? How do we grasp onto hope? The news reports cannot ground our hope. The prospect of a vaccine cannot ground our hope. Conspiracy theories certainly cannot ground our hope. They will all fail. Hebrews chapter 10 invites us to hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. If you are a Christ follower, a Christian, you hope in nothing but Christ, the faithful one who grounds every bit of our faith from beginning to end. Not governments, not science, not human shrewdness, nothing else. We put our hope in Jesus Christ. When I lose my bearings in this pandemic, Psalm 23 is a compass, and it's a compass that points me to Jesus Christ whose death and resurrection is then a compass for me too because it is the center point of history and whose death and resurrection helps me make sense of every other moment in history. What does Jesus' death and resurrection tell us about the pandemic? It tells us God is in control, not us, God. And he works in his ways and his time, not ours. How are those two linked? Let me try to connect these two ideas for you and spell it out. Jesus' death and resurrection remind us that God is in control over a global pandemic because when God's Son dying on a Roman cross is our reference point to understand how God chose to rule over the world, to deliver the world, everything turns upside down. Suffering doesn't mean God has abandoned the world. It can't, because it was the very means through which God saved the world. N.T. Wright puts it this way in his recent book, God and the Pandemic. If you want to know what it means to talk about God being in charge of the world, or being in control, or being sovereign, then Jesus himself instructs you to rethink the notions of kingdom, Control and sovereignty around Jesus' death on a cross. In this valley of the shadow of the pandemic, we can pray, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, and receive confidence from that truth because everything about Jesus suggests it's true. If Jesus really shows us what God is like, then yes. God is a God who is with us in the valley of the shadow of a pandemic. Because Jesus, who calls himself the good shepherd, demonstrates being with others, being with his people in valleys all throughout his life. Listening to the many misguided questions brought to him. Like many of ours today. Being patient with his followers' struggles to understand him. Like many of our struggles today. And weeping at the grave of his friend Lazarus with his friends, like many of our tears and losses and deaths today. Jesus shows us our God is one who is with us in the valley of the shadow of death. It's the sort of place he shows up. Therefore, we have reason to cry out and lament with hope because this is the type of God we serve. You see, if we served a God who ruled the world like I might rule the world or like you might rule the world, a global pandemic would never have occurred. But because it has occurred, this would mean that God is not God, after all, or at least not a very powerful one or loving one. Do you see? Every other vision of the world that doesn't have a crucified and risen God as the reference point will leave us disappointed. This has to be our compass. But our God was crucified, and he did rise from the dead, and he declared that a whole new way of being has begun in him, in his resurrection, and that will last into eternity, and he's invited us to join in it. We don't have explanations for the pains and calamities the world has endured for thousands of years and does today, as we journey with God towards his kingdom. But we do have a God who can handle these pains and calamities, who is with us in the valley of the shadow of the pandemic. And we have a destination we're heading towards, our home with him. And this is exactly where Psalm 23 is going to take us. But there's one other image before we get there. In verse 5 it says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. This next image Psalm 23 gives us is that God is our host. Lord, you are a host of a great banquet. And we, we are guests at his table. Meant to receive his goodness and to dine in his delight. There is an intimacy and a lavishness depicted. The table is bountiful. The glasses are brimming to the top. The guest is anointed with oil, a sign of blessing and welcome and warmth. And interestingly, the table is being actively protected from enemies while the guests dine and enjoy the presence of one another and the presence of the host. This host is God, a generous, hospitable God who's welcoming you with joy, preparing a bountiful, full table for you and blessing you with his anointing oil, saying, you are mine and you are welcome. And you, what what does this scene say? Verse 5, that God created you to be welcomed, to be delighted in to receive his blessing. You need this. You were created for it. This blessing is what God the Father lavishes upon his son at the baptism scene. You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. With you, I am well pleased. You need to know you are lovable. You need to know you are worthy of love. And you need to know there is a place at the table of God with a fancy name tag on it, like the ones at weddings, you know, and it has your name on it. God is the host. He is eager to welcome you in, to seat you, to anoint you with oil, to fill up your cup all the way to the brim and your plate too. This is who our God is. This is what our God is like. Now, if you received the blessing of your parents as a child with no strings attached, this will be easier for you to grasp this idea of blessing. And by no strings attached, I mean you were respected and loved and enjoyed simply by being your parents' child, not because of your performance or behavior, not because you met their needs not because you grew up and fulfilled their dreams. If these are conditions you had to meet to receive your parents' love, then you were taught that love is, and always will be, conditional. You were taught it is this way with God, too. And it's going to be harder to understand in your bones that God's love isn't like that. If that's you, reach out to us too. We'd love to talk about it and walk through that with you. But God's love isn't like that. It is unconditional. God ripped up all the conditions on his love when Jesus Christ fulfilled the law with his perfect life and teaching, when Jesus Christ fulfilled the requirements of the law with his body torn and blood spilled, and when Jesus Christ said to the thief on the cross today, You will be with me in paradise. All the conditions, ripped up. I can't help but imagine what Jesus was thinking in that moment on the cross. Brother, I have a spot waiting for you. There's a place set with your name on it. It's been set for a long time. You've been a thief and a scoundrel your whole life. But guess what? That place has been set and there's a chair pulled back for you every single day of your life. Every single day you lived in darkness and sin. And I've been waiting and hoping you would come take your seat and let me fill up your cup to the brim. Welcome, brother. Welcome to the table. You are most welcome. I've been waiting so long. This is what our God is like. This is who he is. And he's invited you to. He won't coerce you. He won't force you. But he's invited you to that table. This is the blessing of the Father. You are lovable. No strings attached. You're invited to the table. So come on in. Well, the psalmist in his prayer, he's moved from God as shepherd to God, his host. And he finishes with a final affirmation of God's character in verse 6 Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God's goodness that I'm trying to paint with the image of a shepherd. God's steadfast, loving mercy that I'm wrestling to capture in this image of a host, says the psalmist. Well, I know this, the good and merciful God who is steadfast and who offers love that requires no conditions. He will keep after me today and tomorrow. He'll keep after you today and tomorrow. And every other single day, God pursues us. He doesn't give up, which means you are pursued by God. On the days that you'd rather forget in your life, you were being pursued. On the day you prayed your first prayer, you were being pursued. Today, you are being pursued. And as if receiving an embrace, the final line of the psalm tells us where God's love is pursuing us to. It's pursuing us home. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's the embrace that that Psalm 139 is getting at. You hem me in, behind and before you lay your hand upon me. It's the embrace that that St. Patrick is getting at in his prayer. Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me. You pursue me all the way home. Yet, it's strange, isn't it? Because it's a home that you or I have never been to before. A home like an immigrant's home that they've never arrived at yet. Jamie Smith says it like this. I love this image. The immigrant is migrating toward a home she's never been to before. She will arrive in a strange land and in ways that surprise her come to say, I'm at home here. Not least because someone is there to greet her and say, welcome home. You see, the goal isn't returning home but being welcomed in a a place that you weren't born, arriving in a strange land and being told you belong here. He goes on. The illusion of settling down in the everyday, settling for here, is one way to try to imagine you've arrived. But it is doomed to disappoint if you've been made for another shore. Hope is found in a certain art of saying goodbye, but also in looking ahead to the day when someone will greet us with welcome home and knowing how to navigate in the meantime. When I lose my bearings during the pandemic, Psalm 23 is a compass. And it's a compass that points me to that home that I've never been to before, but that I'm headed towards. It's a compass that points me towards that home which is jesus christ and he's waiting he's pursuing and he's waiting to welcome me and to welcome you home you were made to be with jesus christ his story makes sense of the rest of the story of the rest of history it makes sense of today he is a good shepherd with you in the valley of the shadow of death He is a host, blessing you with his welcome and joy. And he is pursuing you and waiting to welcome you home. To be with Christ is to be at home. Nothing else will do.